Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChambaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is John Cunnell from the film consulting and promoting initiative Felix Motor Society. Now, let's start the show. This is Anthony Alex from the Angry Mailman podcast. And you're listening to another fine show from the From Page to Screen Media Empire. Hey guys, this is Ace Marrero from the movie Madison County. Hi, this is David L.G. Hughes, writer-director of the film Hall Bowl Suites. I love the pace and the fastness, and I love the fact that you just roll with it. Hi, I'm Eric England, the director of Contracted. Hi, I'm David Amaru, the writer-director of Deviation. My name is Nathan Whitehead, and I wrote the music for Beyond Skyline. Hello, Stuart. Just a quick hello from Sarah Douglas. Hi, this is Ben Lloyd Holmes from the film The Expedition. This is Dominic Burns, the director of Allies. Hey, Stuart. Page the screen. Dot-com up in my bum, please. Snake, get up to my motorcycle, running and tracking up with my fucking snake, genius, with Dom, eating pizza, and pussy. I'm Neil Johnson, I directed Rogue Warrior and The Time War, and I crucified Adolf Hitler. The From Page to Screen Moviecast. Windows updates, mine did one earlier on today and knocked my internet out, so... <laughs> funny you should say that, when I came up, my computer said it got, I got no internet, I had to... Uh, Unplug things and plug them back in again. Well, mine did it before. I was downstairs on the laptop updating some websites, uh, website articles, and I went, your internet's gone, so I restarted it, and it took a little <laughs> bit longer, and then it worked. And then I came upstairs and did the same thing again. I'm like, update, thank you. <laughs> Wonderful technology. So uh, on this call, we have, because I, I never introduce people. I don't know why, because I know who you all are, but nobody else does. So, Are you sure? Like Pretty sure. So I have Robert Dyer, event organizer, Star Trek geek, and for some reason he's the only one on planet Earth that actually admits to being a Power Ranger fan. So hi, Robert Dyer. Say hi. Hello. I said hi, not hello. Jeez, can nobody stick to script? I have Bob Whitworth. Uh, some people call him Bob, but his name's not even Bob, so that's a bit confusing. And he's the only man I know who ever wore a Hawaiian shirt in a snowstorm. Say hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. And then we have the wonderful, who doesn't visit as often as I would love him to, Mr. Sean O'Banion, the guys whose filmography is pretty much a who's who of Hollywood, like all of it. You've worked with everybody, haven't you, Sean? All of them. Uh, uh, yeah, sure. Everyone. Everyone. I always get super excited. No offense to Rob and Bob, but I always get really excited when I'm speaking to you, Sean, because you always, you always sort of bring a wonderful little story with you. Um, <laughs> you... My, you you requested the Tom Cruise one, so I'll probably I, share that one this time. I did. I <laughs> love the Al Pacino one. The the Larry Fishburne one is amazing, but I am very much looking forward to Tom Cruise one because I've been waiting what like a year for that or something. Seems like yeah, that. probably. Wow, how are you doing? How are you doing, Sean? I'm I'm, I'm I'm well and nice to join you guys. Nice to have you here as well. And Bob was early. indeed indeed. Bob was actually early for the podcast. Rob. Wow. I know. <laughs> and he is, uh, he's wearing a nice new Microsoft headset this evening rather than going through the laptop. Speakers. What about the Hawaiian shirt? 
No, uh, no, no, no. That, that sadly is, well, it needs work. One of the buttons <laughs> is missing. It needs so to, work, need to, get, so. to work on a shirt. Yeah. So the button needs to go back on. So. Definitely, so, definitely. Where do we start? So the internet's quite, um, the internet's angry again. The internet <laughs> it has not yet gotten over the fact of the casting of The Little Mermaid. It is now a little bit angry at the potential uh, James Bond casting news that seems to be flying all over the internet where uh, she was in Captain Marvel. Lashana Lynch apparently has been announced that she will be playing a role in the next James Bond film where she will be given the code name or the code number of 007. So the internet is now <laughs> running wild going, oh my God, she's the next James Bond, which doesn't make <laughs> sense because that's not what the article says. But the internet's angry again. So it's... Uh, it's unusual. Surprise. It is very unusual. It just, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't Can know. anyone remember a time that the internet wasn't angry? Yes, before the internet, pretty much. <laughs> it was before I was, the I was going to say, on the, on the first day, it was probably pretty wonderful, but I, wasn't, I, don't, I don't think I was on it yet. Mm. I think I went on the internet around the mid-90s, I think. Because I remember a friend of mine coming around to my house with his laptop, but he, he worked in the IT industry. And he, he showed me a chat room, and I'm like, I, I could not get my head around how he was talking to somebody in Brazil at the same time he was talking to somebody in England on this one screen. It blew my mind. I'm like, that is inc- that's crazy. It's so fast. It's amazing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, now just it seems to be weekly that the internet well, is super angry about something. Well, so I, I'm assuming you guys, I didn't see Captain Marvel. You guys did? I uh, I've not watched it yet. Nope. No. no. Okay. I want so, to, but. So, I mean, it made a billion dollars, so clearly they're not bothered with us not seeing it. But I guess that she has a pretty um, pretty substantial role in, in that film. Yeah, um, yeah. And so the fans of that film were sort of thrilled at this information, and I've just read it too. I, I'm not familiar with her, no. but I think, you know, if you're a Bond fan, um, you know that the the number 007 is not strictly – you know, his, it can be reassigned. So uh, for me, I'm like, number one, wait until Eon Films uh, confirms it. And number two, whatever. <laughs> exactly. It's, I mean, we all love movies. Otherwise, we wouldn't be chatting on a movie podcast. And Sean, you definitely love movies or you're in the wrong business. But yeah. I don't think we all get super angry about them. So I've seen movies that are terrible. I've seen quite a few <clears throat> movies that are terrible. But I don't get really angry if I watch one or if really super angry if there's casting news I don't agree with. It's just like, just move on. I don't I don't get it. That's what's well, just the internet, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. You know, Game of Thrones isn't on anymore, so they can't get angry about that. DC haven't got a, a film imminently coming out, so they can't get angry about that. Uh, Stranger <laughs> Things, I think they were generally happy with that. I don't think anybody was super angry with season three. I thought it was really, really good. Uh, yeah, I agree. So, did you, have you up to date on it, Sean? Yeah, I finished. Yeah, finished uh, yesterday, I guess, or the day before. Uh, where would you put it with the other seasons? I I, I preferred it to season two. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah, that's season... interesting. I I liked season two hmm. better because I felt like it. All of season two felt like there was something happening in every single episode, whereas the new season to me felt like they spent maybe two, three episodes reintroducing people and introducing a couple new characters. And then by four and five, you started to get a sense, okay, now where's the story going? 
but it didn't really kick in for me until the very last episode, which was fantastic. But it was almost like for me, season three was kind of like taking their time um, before we really got to sort of what was going to happen and how everyone was going to end up pairing up and whatnot. See, I felt that way about season two. And I, I did like season two, but season two I felt, and it's something that Netflix do quite often, they, they will have sort of the whole build-up of the, the episodes will be building up to the last two episodes, which are amazing. Orange is the New Black does it as well. And you go, eh, 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 wow. So you're left with this wow feeling once it gets to the end credits and then you're just counting the days down till the next season. But I think, yeah, I, we <coughs> battered through Stranger Things season three in maybe two days, three days. Which not too bad. <laughs> Rob, how long did you take to watch it? Uh, it was three days for me. Um, I'm now watching it a second time. I've got, I think, three episodes to go. Why are you watching it a second time in such short... Are you watching it with somebody who's not seen it? or? I am indeed. I'm watching it with Nicole, so uh, my, my good wife. Yes. Have you been uh, paying attention to how many cigarettes you get to see in scenes? No, not at all. Oh, do it. Seriously, now I've told you, you will not be able to unsee it because Netflix came under fire, I think, for season two where they go, oh, smoking and smoking's bad. And apparently people didn't smoke in the 80s, supposedly. Oh, yeah. rubbish. They kind of did. They were smoking everywhere. Yeah. You were smoking on planes and in cinemas in the 80s. So, um, But yeah, they came under fire. And then when you watch season three, they've obviously done a big <laughs> FU to all those who are complaining about cigarettes. Like, near enough, every <laughs> single shot, other than the kids smoking, everybody else smokes. So do pay attention to how many shots of cigars. Yeah, you know, it was actually mentioned again for this season already, um, and I didn't pay attention to it that much, even even while I was watching it. Um, have you guys seen, there's another Netflix show, Ava DuVernay's uh, When They See Us? Have seen that? No. Mm. Uh, Sorry. Really excellent show. It's only four episodes. They're, they're quite long. I think the first episode is almost an hour and 40 minutes, but uh, I, I caught somebody the other day on Twitter um, there's a specific shot where one of the young boys about the central park five. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Who were charged with attempted murder and rape in the, in 1989, I guess it was. Um, but somebody complained because in one of the interrogation scenes, there's a, there's a Pepsi can in front of one of the kids. Um, and I had watched the documentary, which is called the central park five. Um, and in that they showed you some scenes from the actual interrogation and, there's a Pepsi can in front of the kid. And this person took Ava DuVernay to task on Twitter, you know, tagged her into the tweet and said, <laughs> so disappointed in product placement in these films and you know, blah, 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 blah. And I, and I couldn't help myself. So I found a, a still image of the original interrogation and tagged it into this guy and just said, like, let's see, do we, do we attack directors for product placement or do we research and see that it's actually incredible attention to detail <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like you've got somebody watching a documentary or a show about horrific things and then the one thing they get annoyed about is a pepsi gun they're yeah. kind of missing the whole point of the show yeah. I think, aren't they? it's just like really this is what you know like you know and the, the tweet was so funny it was like i am so disappointed in ava duvernay and i'm like you know, I mean, I'll be honest, I've, I've not been moved by any of her previous work, Selma and things like that. I, you know, uh, they were they were good. They were fine. But they I wasn't really none of them to me were like a gut punch the way this show was everything from the photography to the music and just yeah. the time period. I mean, it's, you guys should check it out. It's, it's just mm -hmm. really, really well done. 
So if somebody's not familiar with the story, would you recommend the series over the documentary or? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, the, the documentary was excellent as well. But I mean, I think you could watch the series and get sort of everything you need from it in terms of a dramatic telling of it. Either way, the, the documentary was fantastic, too. But uh, but this was just I mean, it, it was really just so well done on every level that it sort of blew my mind. I think, you know, we're going into Emmy season um, and I'm sort of thinking of all the shows that I've watched, whether it's Game of Thrones or Barry or, you know, whatever. And I had sort of thought in terms of like an original movie that maybe Escape from Danamora might be a front runner. Yeah. Um, which was kind of cool for me because I used to work for Ben Stiller and to see something that he directed, get a bit of heat was cool. Um, but then when I saw this, I'm like, well, that's, that's, it's all, you know, game over. She wins. <laughs> How do you uh, think Chernobyl will do? Well, I was going to say that that was probably, if there's a top three, it's, it's probably Danamora, Chernobyl. And, and when they see us, um, I think that people are in, in terms of like the social you know economic and all that kind of stuff i don't think they're gonna be able to not give everything to ava right mm -hmm. but i do i mean i thought chernobyl was phenomenal it was i i planned on watching one episode of that before i went to work and i ended up watching the whole series i mean it's like five <laughs> hours so it's not like a 24 episode thing but i watched a whole lot in an afternoon and then ran out the door caught the bus 10 minutes after i'd finished it and went to work for 12 hours it was that good you'd think i want to watch the next one next one next one it felt like a five-hour movie yeah absolutely absolutely and then it was also interesting because i i remember the chernobyl incident you know, living in Scotland at the time, and I, I thought I knew what happened, but I, clearly I didn't. But, uh, well, according a, to the Russians, you still don't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there are a couple of characters in that show where you could go, yeah, I think they're probably the ones the Russian government aren't happy with. Like that, yeah. the, the idiot boss. You're like, really? <laughs> Everything's on fire. Nah, it's not. It is. It is. <laughs> look, look out the window. Nah, it's not, though, is it? No, it really is. Look, look, explosions. No, there's no explosions there. That, that character, I would have punched him through the window. Yeah, like, no, I looked into the core and it's not there. And he's like, no, that's just not possible. Yeah, it's still there. But it's not. I've been in the room. It's not there. Kind of is, though, isn't it? No. If you put a slight slant on that, it could come out like the in-betweeners, sort of. Yeah, it is, though, isn't it? No. Well, yeah, kind of is. But no, it's such a good show, though. Yeah, or the or the uh, you know the uh, the Ron Howard narration from Arrested Development. You know, <laughs> the core's not there. It it was, <laughs> <laughs> but it really wasn't. Yeah, it was. But a great show. So, if, if, uh, Rob, Bob, if you're not seen Chernobyl, watch Chernobyl. Uh, I must admit, I've not seen it yet, but um, a lot of the guys at work have, were really raving about it. Uh, it's not meant to be an easy watch. There's some pretty gruesome bits, but. Yeah, yeah. There are, but I remember watched, before I'd watched it, uh, people were saying, oh my God, it's horrific. And it is, it is horrific. But I had it in my head that the, 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 the it was something I could never unsee. It would be so, oh my God. And maybe I've just watched lots of horror films, but <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is gruesome, but it's not. Right. Well, you, you really need to prepare like, yourself I, for it. People had said the same thing to me, like, oh, man, it's so, you know, traumatic or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but you're talking to the generation that watched RoboCop. 
that's it it never got quite to that level for me you know like people, people's bodies didn't liquefy on windshields so um you know but i would say also that stranger things uh, for me season three was pretty gross i mean they had some uh, you know, even the first season, I would say you could watch with your kids, maybe if they were seven, eight, nine years old. But but season three, I was like, maybe not. Maybe maybe they need to be like 15 years old to see that. I think it's a case of it's a bit like the Harry Potters, isn't it? Where the, the kids get older and so does the subject matter. I mean, there was a lot more language in yeah. this one. So mm. every five minutes, one of the kids was saying shit. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, I know swearing in. So I think this yeah. is probably Netflix getting away from, look, this isn't a kid show. All right. We can we can show people smoking. It's fine. So who knows? Do you think they'll do a season four, Sean? Because I originally heard that there were it was a third and done, but now I'm hearing that they're working on a fourth. That's interesting. I had heard from some friends that the Duffers had planned five if they ever got it made. Um, but then just recently, I heard that Netflix has said that they'd like to do one more and close it out. And I'm not sure why that is because they. They released their their viewership numbers, which you know they they've begun doing from time to time. But they said that some, I think, forty million people watched it yeah, over yeah. the uh, the U.S. Fourth uh, of July holiday, and then and then another twenty, uh, not another twenty million, but twenty million of those had watched all eight episodes, like binged them. <laughs> yeah. So why would they end it? Yeah, I mean, I you know that's like a money machine for them. And they don't really have that. I mean, they've got a lot of shows, but you know, the Marvel ones have all disappeared from Netflix. And Orange Is New Black is finishing. House of Cards has been shuffled out the door for for many reasons. Uh, so it's like, what have they got that is reoccurring? I suppose you've got a lot of shows that are in the season ones in a minute. But, uh. Yeah, and I think part of their concern is, is we had a two-year gap between two and three now, and if they do a gap that long again, these kids are going to look like they're 40 years old. <laughs> they will do, yeah. <laughs> 40 years old, just playing teenagers. <laughs> so I've, I've been hearing, this is one for Rob as well, I've been hearing uh, that some people are taking a 30-day break from social media. Either of any of you guys heard about that? No. Nope. Somebody on my Facebook page who's an actress, and she came back from her 30-day break from social media, and she said she actually did 32 days for some reason, and she got uh, a lot more work done, and she felt mentally better and all that sort of stuff. And I'm thinking, I wonder if I could take a 30-day break from social media. So I text Rob earlier on and said, what do you reckon to this? And he said he couldn't do it because he works with social media. But yeah. I work with social media, you know, my nighttime job. Yeah. But could I do it for 30 days? On a personal level. On a personal level. I'm tempted to give it a go just to see if it will work. So, Bob, could you do it? I'm not saying would you do it, but could you do it? I honestly don't know. And this um, is, this is I would Facebook, look- Twitter, Instagram, pretty much. Yeah. Well, I'm, I don't use Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. And I would say that I would quite happily give up Facebook yeah. or try to for 30 days because <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Cause it's Facebook. Facebook seems to be more poisonous than Twitter. Uh, yeah. Well, Facebook yeah. tends to be the same little, I suppose Twitter is to a certain extent, but the same circle of people all just buzzing around each other. Mm, isn't it? Because Facebook is generally people you know. 
or yeah. people that you've chosen to add. To, Correction, you, people you thought you knew. People you thought you knew. Because uh, I always tell people, Facebook's great for keeping in touch with those that you know. Twitter is brilliant for keeping in touch with those that you, you want to meet or new people and stuff. So, yeah. uh, Facebook, easily, I could give up for 30 days. Mm. And I've pondered just giving it up fully because it's annoying. But True. Twitter, Twitter, I would probably struggle with. But yeah. it, it's possible. I could still... I'm, I'm trying to come up with a workaround so I don't have to go on Twitter for just a month just to see if I could actually do it. But it's mm. uh, it's an interesting thing. What do you reckon, Rob? Uh, I'm not sure. I've been on Facebook for the last 30 days, so that one's easy enough. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Twitter, uh, I do more on, but I'd be very, very happy just to give that up as well. Um, it wouldn't faze me in the slightest. What about you, Sean? Other than work stuff, obviously. Work stuff you'd be allowed to keep because obviously that's work and stuff. But personal tweeting, would you struggle giving it up for 30 days? Uh, yeah, I think, well, I mean, a lot of, well, I guess on Twitter now I'm, with the Donald Trump of everything, I'm fairly political. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've noticed you and Donald having a nice bit of, um, well, mainly it's a one-sided conversation, I find, where, where you're communicating with Mr. Trump. Yeah, I mean, I'm usually just saying "fuck you, asshole." Yeah, very um, much. And, and, Brilliant. I love it. <laughs> Good man. Um, oh, yeah. But but um, and and I guess the Facebook thing. I mean, you know, I'm I'm in a different situation than you guys because I four years ago I moved away from the U.S. Um, and I find that it's really um, it's it's my connective tissue to all my friends and family back home. Yeah, because um, yeah, yeah. I can't awesome. be on the phone with them all the time, and uh, really, it's it's interesting. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, but when you if you've moved away from your home, when you go back there, um, you know they, they they always say you can never go home again. But there is this sort of sense that you are a bit of a ghost walking through your old memories because yeah. you yeah. do see your friends and family, but they kind of like you vanished and they just kept going, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's like Avengers Endgame, And then suddenly you're there and they're like, Oh, you're here again. Oh, hi. Okay. Let's have dinner. But like <laughs> their lives just moved on. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, it's nice that, you know, I, I think Facebook is in some ways a very addictive and dangerous thing, but I also like being able to see, you know, if my aunt, you know, has planted something new in the backyard or whatever, yeah. you know, little things you wouldn't talk about even on a call. Hmm. So I, like I can go with that. Yeah, because I don't tend to keep in touch. I do keep in touch with people on Facebook, but not. You know, it's like Bob and Rob. I'll speak to on the phone, so I, I could yeah. keep in touch with you guys that way rather than Facebook. There's nobody really that I keep in touch with through Facebook. I tend to use it just mostly for the publicity side of things with all the you know, press releases and web articles and podcasts and stuff. But yeah, yeah. I've uh, I have cut down a lot on social media. I used to be on it constantly and i've now got to the point now where i can actually watch a whole film without checking my phone which i'm quite proud of myself for that i'm getting i'm getting there i think i managed to watch all of chernobyl without tweeting so i was uh i'm getting there but uh, yeah who knows whether i'll actually do this one month thing if i do it'll be august god i'll well, start you guys tomorrow. have you heard about uh quibi have you heard all this in the, <laughs> yes. in the news i have what nope. oh never cool. explain so, quibi so. Quibi is uh, is uh, am I right on this, Stuart? It's Ka- uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, right? Starting it, mm-hmm. um, and it stands for Quick Bites, and they are now going to attempt to do 
series. They'll be long form series, but they'll be told in five to seven minute episodes. Oh. And they are geared okay. toward you watching them on your phone while you're, you know, driving, driving to work or something. Um, and they're getting really major people to sign on for these things. And Excellent. Um, and, and they did a, like this, just this blast of publicity about two weeks ago. Cause one of the people that signed on to write and create one of their quick bite shows is Spielberg. Yep. Ooh. Yeah. And he, and, and you know, he, he doesn't write very often. So even that's a big deal, but, um, I was just curious what you guys think about this and sort of like the idea of actually sort of tuning into something on your phone for seven minutes. It's, I, I like the idea in a way. I mean, the breaks that I get at work, you know, the biggest one is a lunch break, which, you know, pushing it, I get 30 minutes if I'm lucky. You know, so it's basically a case of something where I can just catch up on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. Rob? Um, yes and no. Um, I love the idea for people who obviously lead busy lives and are running around everywhere. That person, even though I am busy, isn't me. I'm one of these people. I I don't like checking my phone all the time um, when I'm away from kind of the day job and, and having to be online. I try as much as possible to forget it somewhere and leave it. Um, so if this, if this uh, kind of materialized, I'd probably be sitting down hoping that Netflix was going to screen them and I could just tune in on the big screen anyway. I was going to say, surely you're not kind of talking about it, them doing a live 24. So you've got a seven <laughs> minute episode every hour. And oh, if you miss it, you've missed it. No, not at all. It, you know, it's, so like, it's, a, it's a streaming service. Yeah. Is it? it would be yeah, like Netflix, yeah, but for yeah. but for short films. So. But they, but you know, they sign so they sign up Spielberg. Doug Liman is going to do a superhero series. Um, they're doing a sort of modernized Varsity Blues series. Yeah. Uh, Peter Farrelly has a comedy series set for it. So you know, they're pulling pretty big people. I, I mean, for me, it'll be hard. It would be hard to just sort of like say, "Well, that's not for me," and ignore it, especially with people like Spielberg and Doug Liman. I'd happily give it a go, definitely. If I don't like it, I don't watch anymore. That's, yeah, and that's that, exactly the way it should be for anything, isn't it? Rather, you're yeah. not going to take to the internet and go, right, let's burn Quibi to the ground. <laughs> oh. Well, somebody will. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's the internet. <laughs> somebody is bound to. It just it should always be vote with your wallet if you don't want to watch it. Don't. I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of people out there who who do watch things on their phone. I see them on the bus all the time. I saw somebody watching Stranger Things on their phone on the bus and I'm thinking oh, for me I, w I want to watch it on a big screen Yeah. but if somebody like Spielberg is writing something or, or Doug Lyman to purposely be shown on a tiny screen or a smaller screen I kind of trust that they know what they're doing so they'll probably Ooh. you know you're not going to get something that is, is wall to wall shows minute detail yeah. it's not going to be matte paintings wall to wall or Lord no. of the Rings or something is it it's going to no. be something that will you work need something that will work on the form. media yeah so if it's aimed at you know a six-inch screen on your phone, it's got to work on that. Yeah, exactly. So it'll be yeah. um, interesting. But I, it just seems everybody's coming out with a subscription service now, and it's going to end up more expensive <laughs> than it was when people were paying cable bills. Oh, yeah. 
which is kind of crazy. At the minute, I have the, you know we've got the TV license here in the UK, which is a hundred and something pounds per year. I've got the Virgin Media bill, which is forty quid a month, and then I've, you know Netflix and Amazon. Bob, you and I have both got them. Rob, yep. you've got Now TV as well. Have you got? Yeah, Netflix, Amazon, Now TV, BT TV, TV license. So you got <laughs> you got four you uh, four subscriptions plus your TV license. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Because the BT one, daft as it sounds, gives me pretty much one extra thing, which is uh, Fear the Walking Dead when it comes out. <laughs> so how but, much are you paying just to watch Fear the Walking Dead each year then? Well, actually, because of the whole um, BT pricing structure, if I was to knock the TV package off, but obviously I've still got broadband and telephone, it would only save me about £3 a month. Um, so... But- you know, it, it's not worth doing as a cost-saving exercise. So how much would Quibi have to be for you to go, right, I'm interested, £3 a month? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't be interested. I, I want to watch it on Netflix. Or... It's not happening. Quibi, yes. got to watch it on the Quibi, <laughs> got to watch it on the Netflix. So, it, so you know, if CBS do a, do a Star Trek Quibi, then maybe. <laughs> but otherwise, uh, no, it's, it's not for me. What about you, Sean? How do, does the uh, subscription services work where you're based and how many have you got? Um, well, I've been a cord cutter since 2015. So I bailed on my cable by ridiculous uh, 120 US a month cable. Uh, Ouch. Because wow. I was getting, you know, I, I, the only thing I was watching was HBO, really, and a couple, what, what over there we would call network shows. Um, and I just felt like, you know, the other 899 channels were like nothing. And I'm like, you know, I, I remember I asked my cable company at one point, I was like, when are you guys going to get hip and just do an all a cart thing where I can pick the channels that I want? Yes. And, you know, and then, and then as soon as HBO, cause I'm not one of those, I work in the industry, so I feel bad if I steal media from places. So I never yeah. stole HBO. I paid for it. But I remember saying, as soon as HBO has an over-the-top thing or gets into a streaming thing, I'm done with cable. And that was pretty much the end of it. So right now I have, um, I got Netflix, I get HBO Now, I got Hulu, and I get Amazon Prime. And those are my, I sort of just exist on those. And do you exist happy on those? You you know, I don't think you're probably ever struggling for things to watch. There's... No, and you know, like if there's if if there's a show from back home that that um, I used to watch on like Fox or something like that, um, I, I find that uh, you know somebody will upload it to YouTube and I can catch an episode. Um, I, I like uh, I, I like Graham Norton show, so I, I watch I catch those on YouTube. Yeah, I know I envy Graham Norton because I love I mean the caliber of guests you get get is uh, pretty amazing. But also, I like the fact that he brings them all out at once and lets them talk to each other and stuff. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's so much better than any of the, of the late night shows in the U.S. I mean, for exactly that reason, he just he just stacks them. It's amazing. So, what do you think about the up and coming HBO Max? Have you heard of that one? Yeah, I, I'm not. To be honest, I'm not. I was trying to decipher what the difference between that and my regular HBO is if I'm going to have to have both or I can just get max and then, you know, I'm not, I'm not clear on that because it's a Warner brothers thing, right? It is. This is, this is actually the Warner brothers streaming platform, but for some reason they've called it HBO max because people are familiar with the, 
the brand HBO, so they're like, oh, that's what I get. So with HBO Max, you will get your HBO stuff, but you will also get all the Warner Brothers stuff. You will get uh, the DC stuff, whatever that is. I've forgotten the name of that streaming thing. That will go in there. Uh, a lot of all the stuff from New Line. So it's pretty much all the Warner Brothers stuff. Everything that Warner own will go on HBO Max. So you probably will be able to dump your uh, your HBO and just go over to one platform. Did they did they announce a price point for that? I had no, not yeah. That would be the scary thing, won't it? <laughs> well, I mean, it's curious because I think what Disney Plus or either Disney Plus or Apple said that they were only going to be like seven ninety nine US a month or whatever, um, yeah. which is pretty cheap because I think I pay more than that for Netflix now. Yeah, uh, but if they sort of fall in line, I mean, this is the thing: like they'll start lower and then they'll slowly start raising it over time, but. Um, if they're if they're in line with the Disney uh, number or or um, Apple, then I'm inclined to to do that. And then it will be that age old thing where some of them go belly up and disappear, yep. don't they? You know, a bit like Blu-ray and HD DVD and vice versa. <laughs> so it will be um, interested to see which ones survive. Yeah, well, and also since I mean we've seen like you like you mentioned earlier with Marvel pulling their stuff off of Netflix in preparation for Disney Plus, it'll be interesting to see if basically you know Warner's, Universal, Sony, they all start pulling their content off Netflix, and then the only thing Netflix will have left is their own original stuff, which means they're going to have to really ramp up um, original content. Yep. Which Netflix have come out and said they are spending less money on original content in the near future. So I don't know what's going to go on there. Yeah. But they and they're are pumping shows faster than they used to. You know, like I think what, you know, they give like two seasons to something now and then they're like, yeah, not doing it anymore. I think they did some sort of, not a survey, but some sort of article out there that there's only a very, very small handful of Netflix shows that have made it to season three and beyond. Wow, it's uh, it's a very small mm-hmm. amount. It's literally like a seven or eight or something like that out of all the shows they've done. But Netflix are losing the Friends TV series from next year, I believe, which is a Warner show. So that will be going on to HBO Max. So it looks yeah. like they are They're starting to pull the, to the Office now. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's going as well, isn't it? The Office. I think it will. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that was announced, I think, probably a couple of weeks back because the internet was up in arms about it. So I'll just watch it. It's on there. <laughs> if, if you've not seen it, you've got like a year or two to, to yeah. blitz through it. Don't worry about it. Do you guys find that if you are if you haven't started a show yet on Netflix, for example, and and they basically say, oh, we're not renewing it, do you find that you're less inclined to, to start watching it? Yeah. I did it the other month with the Santa Clarita Diet. Because I watched the pilot episode and I thought, this is really, really good. I'm, I'm into the show. And then they announced they were cancelling it and I've not gone back to it. Yeah. No, not good. So, but yeah, I'm the same way. I'm worse with network TV, but especially if it's on Fox. If it's on Fox, I, I don't want to watch it until it's at least done a full season. Because I really love The Passage and they've cancelled that. Uh-huh. And I'm yeah. not happy. And then there's a lot of shows where they just scrap them. Yep. Which is a shame. What about you, Sean? Are you more are you less inclined to carry on watching it if it gets dumped before you finished it? Or yeah, definitely, definitely. Because yeah. you don't uh, want to spend all that time invested in it just to go rah, thanks, cliffhanger. Yeah, especially yeah when they don't even get to finish. I mean, you know, I still haven't gone back to Sense Eight, and I and I quite enjoyed that show. At least I grew to enjoy that show. 
Um, but I just never even sort of came back, even when they announced that they were going to do whatever their Christmas episode or whatever they called it, uh, to wrap things up. Cause I just was kind of like, I, you know, like I put in the time for that thing and now it's just not going to go anywhere. So I think for me, one of the ones is, um, you get a lot of TV series being basically based on book series. And as you know, I'm an avid reader. And I think one of the things that would put me off is, if they cancelled the TV run, you know, the series runs, before they'd caught up to where the books were. I mean, one that's coming out at the tail end of the year that Netflix are doing is The Witcher. And that's one that I'm, I'm pretty eager to watch. But if they cancel that after one season, I'll probably end up cancelling my Netflix. Oh. <laughs> and then Bob will take to the internet and, and be mad. No, no. I'll just petition. As you say, <laughs> vote with my wallet. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And that's it's like these people bleat and moan about, oh, why, why do they keep making Transformers movies? Well, because people keep going to watch them. <laughs> if yeah. you don't want them to make any more, don't go watch them. Especially podcasters and film reviewers and stuff. They will spend their days bitching about the Transformers movies and how awful and terrible they find them. And then the next thing, they're going to watch the new one and reviewing it. Go, oh, I, have to, I have to watch it, don't I? No, you don't. You don't have to watch it at all. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And Bumblebee was great. <laughs> oh, Bumblebee, I, I started watching and I've not finished watching it because I got distracted and I've not resumed it, but I'm enjoying it so far. It's good. Yeah, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't see that one, but I wanted to ask you, I know one of you guys mentioned Fear of the Walking Dead, so do you watch the original series still? Yes, I do. Was it, um, was it shocking to you when they just made the announcement that they're just stopping the, the graphic novel series? Um... It doesn't impact me so much because I, I actually um, I own a few copies, but I've never actually read it. Um, but yeah, it, to to uh, to see that they're they're stopping it makes you makes you wonder what's going to happen with the TV show. But obviously, the TV show is doing well, so at the moment, I think uh, all is good. Yeah, I was curious if they if if uh, I haven't followed their viewership in quite a while, and and uh, I really enjoyed the show, but honestly, when when they spoiler alert when they when they killed Glenn uh, mm-hmm. in the way that they did I felt like that was too much for me and I've yeah. never gone back to watch it which is interesting because I was really into that show yeah it's uh, it's like Stuart and um, the animal tiger. moments isn't it yeah tiger yeah I'm like I'm like, done why am I watching this <laughs> right I walk with my eyes I'm out oh yeah. when they when they got to the hilltop people yes. Yeah, yeah. There, there was um, there was one. It was before you stopped watching. I think there was a scene where they killed a horse, mm. and then I fell out with that. And then yeah. I went back to the show because uh, I know somebody that joined the show, and I'm like, well, I want to watch her in it and this, that, the other. So it was. Uh, so I watched it again, and then something else happened with an animal. I'm like, right, I'm out. I'm out again. Forget <laughs> it. At some point, I will go back and I will rewatch the whole lot from the beginning because I think it is a really, really good show, but. Some, sometimes you go. Do you know what? I don't want to. I don't want to watch horrible things. I'm done. Well, that was, I, I, need a break. I, knew, I knew an actor that joined the show before the Glenn thing happened, um, but I just felt like they had done this fake out thing specifically with his character a yes. couple times yeah. by that point, and I was really kind of getting annoyed with that. And then I, th- you know, when they get everybody in that lineup, and what's his name's got the baseball bat, and you're, just, I'm like, they're not, they're not gonna do. It. I mean, that would be so. They can't do that. And then they did it, and the way they did it, which I guess was, 
right out of the right out of the graphic now. I was just like, I can't, like, I can't stick with this now. I really, and and I, I you know, I guess it's a testament to Stephen Yoon that he was just so damn good on that show from the very beginning. Um, and and you know, you, you we lost a couple people by then, but I was just like, yeah, I, I can't watch it. No, I'm mm. done. <laughs> So one of my fondest memories was after that episode had aired worldwide and before the season came back was when I went to San Diego Comic-Con and sat down literally feet away from the whole cast and Stephen Yen was there and pretty much everybody who died in that scene was there and the people were asking him so what's what's next for your character next season and there was no you could not tell that these guys were not coming back you know they were there on the panel you're like that is that was impressive that was the ultimate fake out that nobody knew it was them two that were going to uh, get bumped off so that's yeah. Cool. yeah and I guess you know I like both of those actors I mean um, uh, I'm blanking on the other actor's name now but I mean I liked him I liked him all the way back to like Band of Brothers and even before that he had a small role in Gross Point Blank and he was really funny and you know, I was always like that guy's really good um, so yeah they took out two people I liked and I was like that's it for me I'm done <laughs> Do you think, will you go back at some point and, you know, if they announced that they finished it and it's concluded, do you think you'll ever go back and watch it? Or I don't know, because for me, it's like, you know, those, those were the original, well, at least, you know, Rick and, and uh, Glenn. And once they sort of, I mean, I'd be curious to see, I guess, how they wrap up Carol. Um, she's maybe the one that I'm most interested in, but kind of everybody else, they, they've They've dropped them. Maggie, I guess, went off on her own so she could do Whiskey Cavalier, which got canceled. Oops, she'll be back. Uh, I don't know if she'll go back now, but like you know, they kind of like my original. The original crew isn't really there, so the the stories that'll ultimately be wrapped up whenever they end it are not the people that I was paying much attention to. So, what's the question for you, Rob? Have they still got the the women in the junkyard? So is Jada still in it, or is she gone? <laughs> No, she um, she left when Rick left. Oh. Um, basically, she was the one who. Um, that's how they got rid of Rick. Um, uh, she called in um, this secret organization that we don't yet know who they are, where they are. Um, I'm sure all will be revealed in um, the uh, the the Rick Grimes movies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she um, she's left as well. Then yeah, it's. Uh, Pretty much. Well, she she's obviously the... went to direct the third installment of the Woman series, so I'll be darling. It's called so. That's probably what she's toddled off to do. So I'm quite <laughs> happy about that. I will watch that one. But I am pretty sure Maggie's going to be back. Um, I think uh, this next season we'll see Maggie. Well, we'll see. We'll see how big a paycheck they give her. Go come back. We'll uh, mm-hmm. want you back now. We shall see. <laughs> <laughs> so have you um, what have you been watching Sean I've been on a full list but have you watched anything that's like blown your socks off over the past however long um man well I mean we sort of talked about the two of them Chernobyl and, and when they see us um there I guess there's I'm, I'm I haven't had a lot of time on my hands so I've sort of like you know get caught up in, in those couple and, and haven't looked at a lot of new stuff I keep hearing about Killing Eve and I'd like to watch that um, I enjoyed the first two seasons of Handmaid's Tale, but I I like my binging, so I have waited to look at the new season until I can just watch them all in a row. 
Yeah. Um, I don't like it. This sort of doling out week by week thing. <laughs> I, I had to tolerate it with the last season of Game of Thrones, but um, yeah. So now I just sort of like if if it's not a crazy social media thing where it's all going to get spoiled if I don't watch it right away, I wait so they can stack up a little bit. Um, but yeah, when they see us is is just a fabulous piece of work. She'll add that to my list. So, uh, yeah, that's the reason I binged Stranger Things as quick as possible because the internet does love to ruin stuff, <laughs> as is uh, evident with Game of Thrones, which uh, I loved the last season of Game of Thrones. Rob, you liked it as well, didn't you? I did. And Bob, you've not watched it yet. But, nope. <clears throat> so, Sean, what were your thoughts on the last season of Game of Thrones? Which side I, of the fence are you on? I would say I'm, I'm pretty mixed. Okay. Um, I was not... Uh, some of it I thought was cool. I got some resolution that I was... Uh, I, I guess I would say there wasn't any resolution that I was really happy with. I just was kind of like, well, okay. That's, you know, so-and-so didn't get killed off, so I guess that's fine. And, you know, but there were... None of it made me, like, really, like, yes, that's exactly what I, you know, hoped for, wanted, whatever. Um even even in the the characters that did get killed off, it was I wasn't like, well, that was amazing. I just kind of was like, well, all right, that's a way to go. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I sort of came out of it like that, going, Do you know what, that was a good ending. I enjoyed that. That was it wasn't like the last ending of Dexter, <laughs> which was not a great ending. But I don't think it ruined the series. But uh, the, yeah, the was, like was it wasn't to, to, to put it in context. Like I don't know what, what you guys felt about Lost, but I felt like Lost was one of the most disappointing series finales ever. Yep. After investing seven years in that show, and, and on the other end of the spectrum, I think Breaking Bad or maybe Six Feet Under are two shows that absolutely did it perfectly. And, Six and, Feet. Six Feet Under to this day is the most perfect ending to a TV show I've ever seen. It's yeah, it was extraordinary how they how they did that. I mean, they really just managed to knock it out of the park. And Breaking Bad too for me was like, you know, you knew that show was going to go a certain way, and the way that they did it was a little twist enough of a twist to like surprise you, but still give you what you expected, and just so good. So sort of those are. The, the 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 high marks for me and if you can't exceed that um you know it wasn't as bad game of thrones was not for me as bad as the ending of lost but it it, it was definitely not as good as the other two we're uh, we're re-watching a lot of old shows one of them prison break and the other one is six feet under and i've i've seen the, the whole run of six feet under but my partner in it she hasn't and i'm I hope the last scene breaks her because it broke me when I first watched it years and years ago. <laughs> I was in bits. It was one of the most well-made final sequences I've ever seen. And if it doesn't devastate her, I'll be solely disappointed because it means she has no heart. So, but, uh, and what yeah. what do you think about the Sopranos ending? I personally, I love the Sopranos ending. I think that was that was genius. But uh, a lot of people don't. I'm okay with it. It's I wasn't. I wanted something else, but it, I wasn't. I wasn't disappointed in it. I was like, okay, all right, good. You know. Well, we watched that one, and then when it faded to black, she's like, "Your oh, DVD player's broken." Nope. But, but why? Why is it done that? Is it not working? A bit. Nope. That's where it is. What? She was a little bit stunned. 
It's funny, no though. If you think of it, it imagine if they'd have played that theatrically, people would have thought the projector cut out. You would have heard people go, oh, you know, like. They would have done. Have you ever seen that Guy Ritchie film where he does that? And it's Revolver, where he just the film just cuts to black and the music plays and there are no credits. And watching that at the cinema, I was like, huh? the hell's going on there but that's the way he meant to do it <laughs> very very odd well that's the other thing it's like i mean i'm sure you guys probably feel the same way like you know you think about something like inception or i, I mean i'm good if you don't if if you allow me to leave the theater and decide what happens um, i'm yep. i'm i actually yep. think that's quite cool i like walking out and going okay so let's talk about that did he get up from the table did he not you know, like <laughs> i think that's great um, yeah. But I certainly know a lot of people. I mean, when I saw, I think I saw Inception like five, six times in the theater. And I remember one, <laughs> when it went to black, there was a guy behind me literally stood up and went, no! <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite make-your-own-endings-up is K-Pax, the Kevin Spacey film. Oh, uh, yeah. Which, which is I love because <laughs> you, you can decide yourself whether he is an alien or whether he's not an alien. So it's... Uh, and apparently there's like two more books out and one of them does tell you whether he is or he isn't, but I don't want to read it because I'm all right with the film. <laughs> the way it is. I never, um, I worked on that movie and I never asked anybody what, what, you know, I didn't ask Spacey what his feeling was or what he was playing. I just sort of, every now and then you work on a film like that. Like I worked on Southland Tales, um, which, you know, is a very divisive film. I love that film. Yeah. But, I would ask people because I read the script and I, you know, I asked Dwayne and I asked uh, Mandy Moore and I would ask her, I said, do you know what this movie's about? And they would literally, everyone would go, no, no, not really. No, not at all. <laughs> and I was like, all right, cool. Well, you know, whatever, more power to you then. <laughs> you don't know what you're playing, but cool. So I just do it anyway. Yep. I don't care. Peter, yeah. I declare, will tweet at Richard Kelly going, when is the uh, the, the super duper, look, you know, the Khan cut, the long one coming out? And he just sort of likes it and then doesn't reply. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. Because that. Uh, He's probably trying yeah. to, when, when, when is somebody going to pay me to do something again? <laughs> but I like, I rewatched Donnie Darko the other week. I love that film. The theatrical one, obviously, rather than the, yeah. the slightly dodgy director's cut. But. Yeah, it's a good film. It is. So, what did you do on Southland Tales then? Uh, I worked for Dwayne. I, I, I got oh, Dwayne to and from set safely. <laughs> <laughs> so you say that so calmly. Yeah, I just yeah, <laughs> I, I just drove Dwayne around. It's fine. <laughs> well, you know what's funny is he he didn't he didn't want to he liked his quiet time in the car. So a lot of times he would say, "Let me just follow you in." <laughs> so he would. He, in, in all my years of like assisting and driving, uh, the only other person who ever said, "Oh, I'll just drive my car and follow you," was uh, Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah. Everybody else would get in the car with me, and we had lots of conversations, listen to music, and whatever. But Dwayne was like, "I want to drive my truck." I was like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I, you know. There were times where I thought I'd joke with him and be like, "The fuck you are, Dwayne! Get in the car." Shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, you've driven and you've assisted and you've worked with like a, a crazy amount of people. You look at your, your filmography, it's insane. Do you, did you get over being starstruck? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you weren't visibly starstruck. You'd be like starstruck afterwards going, 
I've just been telling Dwayne to get in the car. That's kind of crazy. But or or did you get used to it? Have you got used um, to it? No, I mean because I'm such a cinema fan, diehard fan, you know, from 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 childhood basically. I mean, I yeah, I definitely would be like, I can't believe I'm, you know, driving down the street or walking into this room with so and so next to me. You know, there were definitely times where I had to sort of turn off my brain because I would realize like, stop staring, you're staring. You know, <laughs> like you have to just be a coworker here. Um, but I, I managed for the most part. I mean, I think I, I, you know, the Pacino story is a big one because that's, you know, I mean, I was working on a movie with him in LA and he never came to LA except for heat and, and this movie I did with him. So it was like, I never even thought I would ever have a chance to meet that guy, much less work on something with him. And then to be sort of put in a situation where I'm, I have to interact with him was like, I I couldn't stop sort of pinching myself. Like, I can't believe I'm talking to Al Pacino right now. Um, and there were a couple others like that. I, I never worked with him, but I met Sean Penn once because I did a movie when he was he, he and Robin Wright were still married. And he showed up, and I just was like, oh, my God, it's Sean Penn. Like, you know. Um, but most of the time I managed to play it pretty cool, I think. And then get starstruck afterwards going, oh, my God, I've just spoke to Sean Penn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, go around the corner and be like, oh, wow. Or, like, you know, call a buddy or something and be like, guess who came to set today? <laughs> Sean Penn came to set. And I'm like, what? Did you talk to him? Yeah, I talked to him for like two minutes. <laughs> you know? Um, I think the biggest one for me ever, because it's pretty much the reason I'm in the industry, is Spielberg. And I worked on a couple movies with him. And most of the time, I would never have even tried to talk to him. Um, but then that, you know, you just end up in a situation and you're standing next to each other and I'm like, you know what, just talk to him. So I did. And, and I got to do that a few times, which was pretty incredible. I think the only, it's rare that I get starstruck during, it's normally afterwards going, oh my God, I've just had a conversation with George Romero, which was one of them, <laughs> you know, uh, was Michael Bean. Who oh, yeah. Rob, I think Rob, you were there. We were at a, an event, and Michael Beam was over there. I thought I'm gonna go speak to him. I'm gonna go mm -hmm. chat about the abyss and this, that, the other. And I had no idea what to say to him beforehand. I'm like, I'm out. I, don't, I can't think of anything to say to him. And eventually, <laughs> mustered up things, and we we chatted about Tombstone and the abyss and stuff like that. But I, normally, I will just go straight into a conversation, have a conversation, get home, and go. Oh my God, I've just had a conversation with such and such, and it blows my mind afterwards. But well, I told you recently, because I went to, well, I guess not that recently. It was, it was two years ago. I went to London Film Comic Con, and um, I got to go in the green room because my aunt was there signing for Star Wars stuff. Mm -hmm. And when I was sitting in the green room and Lance Guest from Last Starfighter walked oh, wow. in <laughs> um, with, uh, with Catherine Mary Stewart, I mean, that to me, like, the, you know, God, man, I, I, they don't look anything like they did, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. But like when they walked in, I was like, oh, my God, it's the last Starfighter. You know, and my girlfriend was like, it's who? It's what? And I was like, no, you don't even understand. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> like, look, he's right there. You know, and so I went up and geeked out to him and, and Catherine Mary. And and, um, and there were a few people there. I mean, that you know, that, that were big 80s icons that I was got to sort of chat with for a few minutes. And then I took a picture with uh, David Bradley from, from Game of Thrones and Harry Potter. And like that was a big deal for me. So, 
yeah, I still get it. Like, I still get completely starstruck. I think it would be sad if you didn't get star. I don't mean like you personally, but if you'd sort of lost that ability to go, oh my God, it's them. I'd feel really sad if I ever lost that. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because I've I found over the years in the industry that that there's a lot of people that they don't even love movies, which to me is just so strange. Um, yeah. But I would encounter people that, you know, I'd be like, how crazy is this that we're standing here right now? And they'd be like, what do you mean? And I'd be like, well, blah, 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 you know, so-and-so is over there. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, I guess that's cool. And I'd be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you nuts? Like, you know, there's people that would pay good money to be in our position, and we're just, like, standing here watching it, you know? So, Bob, who, who you know, you've heard the conversation that Sean and I are having about being starstruck and, oh, my God, moments. What, what springs yeah. to mind for you? And then, Rob, you'll get the same question in a second. Um, the old, well, one of the ones that springs to mind uh, wasn't one of my own kind of faux pas as such. But uh, when I was working on the hotels project uh, many years ago, uh, we were down in London doing one of the hotels. I was running a team of three. And um, a TV personality came into the hotel while we were there. You know, quite well known. He was a you know, hard-hitting documentary maker. And uh, basically, we, you know, two of myself and one of the other guys on the team got in the lift. And this guy was already in. And uh, basically say, oh, what floor? So we told him. And as we're kind of going you know, in the lift, my mate is kind of nudging me. And he's like, that's, that's, I said, yeah, I know. I said, no, no, it's, it's, I said, yeah, I know. He doesn't want to, <laughs> yeah, he, he was case of, he was totally kind of, uh, oh my God, we're in the same lift as this guy. And I'm case of, yeah, he's still a person. <laughs> True, but I think people do. I mean, I think if you get overly, you know, geeking out, then that's kind of makes the other person yeah. feel a bit uncomfortable. But uh, so, you know, it's nice to acknowledge them. Oh yeah, I mean, what, but, who was it then? Um, he, it was a guy called uh, Roger. Oh crap, I forget his second name now. It's many years ago, but he, he basically used to do these expose documentaries, right. and uh, he, I mean, he'd have life threats made on him and everything. I think the guy next to him was his bodyguard. <laughs> <laughs> So there you go, the guy's geeking out at this guy in the lift or whatever. The bodyguard yeah. would have taken care of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Be all right. <laughs> so, Rob, what about you? What about you? Because you've done conventions and stuff. You've organized them. Who's, yeah. What's blown your mind? Um, probably a few for me. Um, the the first kind of real celebrity I've, I ever met um, in any kind of official capacity uh, is when I started uh, my company um, and was just at the time um selling kind of signed merchandise and that kind of stuff online so i'd uh, arranged a, a signing with um Nichelle Nichols um in uh, in Kent and got to spend kind of the day with her and being a big star trek fan as you know i am you know everything because um uh, you know because i was there on business i had to kind of take everything just to kind of say no you know be professional um don't look like one of the many fans i'm sure she's uh gonna meet on this trip over to the uk um but that was a big moment for me and it's the only um original series cast member i've ever met as well so uh it's a pretty special moment um then probably the biggest one for me though was um meeting john chalice for the first time um i met him before um he came to the first sci-fi wales and um when i met him 
all I remember thinking is, oh my God, there's Boise from Only Fools and Horses. I need to get this guy at Sci-Fi Wales. Wait a minute. Yeah. What kind of sci-fi link has he got? I thought, I don't really care. Just go and talk to him. So I went and, and spoke to him and um, brought up uh, about Sci-Fi Wales and um, managed to get um, his contact details. So uh, he was um, then uh, confirmed for, for the first show. And uh, the great thing about it is then only after kind of confirming him and talking to him and, and kind of generally geeking out, did I go online and have a look at IMDB and go, ha, ah, he's been in Doctor Who, perfect. And, and he and sat on the Doctor Who panel. I still have John Charles on video asking me to be his agent. So you know, one day I will, <laughs> I will, I will exercise that right and become John Charles's Boyce's agent. So super nice guy. But I think that that for me, um, because I seem to work in the sci-fi world, non-sci-fi celebrities seem to get me more excited. Right. Yeah. Get yourself to San Diego Comic Con. Wow, that's, yeah. that's just insane. It's just like you know, I remember walking through that, and there was a big crowd of people, and I got stuck in the crowd. I'm like, "Why is there a crowd here?" <laughs> Look to about two feet to my left, and Stan Lee's there, and you're like, "That's insane." <laughs> it's kind of when I went upstairs, Elvira was there, and it's yeah, it's kind of mind blowing. But uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah, it, it's for me, it's hard work putting the professional side on when I'm doing panel hosting or whatever it is or the publicity side of things. I can easily suppress the the geek thing going, give me an autograph, give me a selfie, sign my poster. But it makes me sad that I don't go, sign my poster, give me a selfie, give me an autograph. Because my geek wall would be amazing. It's kind of cool as it is at the minute, but it would look better if I... uh, At least you'd get your poster signed by the correct person. I do, unlike the dimwit that got um, a Moonraker poster signed by George Lazenby. Yes. Genius, that one, wasn't it? I, I can always remember the look that George Lazenby gave me while the person with me was getting a Moonraker poster signed. Oh, very strange. So, another one for you, Sean, is you've all the films that you worked on, loads, tons of them. Which one seems to impress people the most when, when they go, So, Sean, what have you worked on? What, what have you done? Which one blows their mind the most? Matrix, uh, maybe? or Yeah, probably The Matrix. Uh, but, I mean, it was the sequel, but. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the one that I guess people mention most frequently when they like go to my IMDb or whatever. Um, yeah, probably that. I mean, even when we were working on it, we knew that it like at that time, I think, what was that? 2001. Um, so we were like, you know, this is like going to be the biggest movie, biggest sequel that anybody's ever seen. Um, it ended up not being as good, but I don't necessarily think that was the fault of the movie itself. I think it was more to do with where the story in the first one ended and that they, they sort of hadn't intended to continue that story and wrote themselves into a bit of a hole. But, yeah. um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely the one that's the most popular. Now, Rob, you were looking down Sean's filmography. What film jumped out to you? Well, I know the answer cause you already told me, but. Yeah, for me, um, it's got to be knocked up just because um, it's got the lovely Catherine Hegel in there, who's my favourite actress, and I'd love to meet her. So, um, <laughs> yes, I'm very jealous. And she was she was very nice to us, to everyone. <laughs> Rob's changed his answer because originally he told me it was John Carter. <laughs> so oh, okay. thanks, Rob. Yeah. No, no, forget John Carter. Uh, oh, you know, John how Carter. can you forget John Carter? 
because uh, Catherine Hegel was in this one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot of people do ask about John Carter, but, um, you know, they ask because of sort of the financial debacle that it became. Um, but it was uh, it was an interesting film to work on, for sure. I mean, it was we were just out in the desert for yeah. four months. It was it was kind of nuts. Um, <laughs> and I started that movie working with Taylor Kitsch and then I switched at a certain point to all the all the. UK cast. So I ended up working with, you know, for me, I'm like, I'm working with McNulty, you know, from the wire. Um, I still have a friendship to this day with Mark strong uh, because of that. Um, yeah, I mean, what a, just a deep cast. They had Karen Hines and like, wow, so many good people. I've got to say it's one of the, to me, I really like the film. I think uh, it's unjustly slated by people. I don't know why they don't like it. Mm. The, the reason it, I remember watching it because originally it was John Carter of Mars, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, well, that's the books title. it's based on. Yeah, and then I remember at the time the film had been out nine days, and Disney put out or one of the, the trade papers put out a press release that Disney said this film is going to lose us X amount of dollars, and then. The average Joe public sees that. Oh, it's going to lose money. It must be a bad film, and they yeah. they misinterpret that, and then they don't yeah. go watch it. And sure enough, self-fulfilling prophecy is, is fulfilled. So, it was, yeah. and it was it was nine days because I remember looking at it. I'm like, this film only came out like a couple of weeks ago. Well, I mean, I think yeah. you know what they had working against them from the very beginning. I mean, before they, it, it blows my mind that Disney put the money into it that they did because that. That book, that Burroughs novel, is what you know. So many pieces of Star Wars and every other sci-fi that has come since is based on. Yeah. But then you go and you do John Carter, and now everybody goes, "This is a ripoff of Star Wars." Or this <laughs> off of you know, and you're like, "No, no, 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 guys!" Like, look up your timeline. Oh, the, yeah. Other way around, Star Wars yeah. stole it from this. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, is, it reminded me. I watched a little video of uh, the kid uh, who plays Dustin on Stranger Things. They they do this uh, wired or not wired. I can't remember. Maybe it's just like Google or something. They do this YouTube show where they have them log in on all the social media sites and then answer random questions from people. And one person <laughs> said, oh, I just watched E.T. What a ripoff of Stranger Things. And he, <laughs> and he was like, uh, that's not really possible uh, because we started our show in like 2012 and E.T. is from 1982. So... <laughs> You know, like, uh, look up the timeline there. <laughs> you get the same in music, though. Number of people, you know, the kids of nowadays, it's a case of, oh, you know, this, you know, this, it's much better, you know, it, they shouldn't have done it, you know. It's basically, it's a case of, it's much better, that rip-off from 1982. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, oh, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't like that cover version, though, that's the original one you're listening to. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, but it's like, how can you, I, part of the thing I love about Stranger Things is, yes, it is a rip-off of, Firestarter and you know the Goonies and a lot of the things, but it's not a rip off. It's just throwing you back to that times. It's like a, a trip. Yeah, that's I mean, what it's meant to do. Like it's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's nostalgia. It's you know, the same the same story has been told an infinite number of times. It's just whether or not you care about the characters. And I would argue that that's the thing that they've done the best is make you care about you know Dustin and Steve and Nancy and you know I mean the, the, those actors in those roles are really. That's why I'm tuning in. The, all the pop culture stuff, the Back to the Future, all that is like, that's just the bonus. That's like the, the cherry on top. Because I'm like, oh, I remember that thing. Oh, I remember that thing. 
but I like these characters. You know, I also like how they've done the new characters. So it's uh, yeah. What's what's the, I've forgotten the girl's name in the ice cream parlor? Uh, Robin. Robin. Yeah, she's great. Erica, she annoyed me for the first couple of episodes, and then by the end of the series, I'm like, she's great. She needs her own show. So she was really good. And this was all within eight episodes. So they've yeah. done yeah. such a good job with the with the characters as well. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, but ET's ripped it off. How dare you, Mr. Spielberg? Well, so yeah, and uh, yeah, and 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 you know, I I don't know what knocked up, ripped off, but uh, <laughs> but we had a we had a good time on that one as well. So I'm happy to report that she was very nice to everybody, and it was a that was I think that was my first movie with Judd Apatow, and I ended up doing like two, three more with him, uh, either that he produced or that he directed, and yeah. that, that was a really interesting experience to see how those movies are made um because really the script that they go in with is literally just a blueprint and then he usually has the judd in particular has writers on the set either you know like two three guys that sit right behind him and they will in the middle of scenes they will write something on a little tiny pad and they hand him the piece of paper and uh he either like approves of the joke they just gave him or he doesn't if he approves of it he'll literally stop the scene and go okay okay <laughs> hang on guys now say this and he'll just read the line wow and then they go okay okay so okay so start from this and he's like yeah yeah and then when you get to that part make the back to the future joke and then they go okay cool and then they do it and you're just like wow man that's crazy and they and then they just kind of riff on it you know they go off in so many times he shoots he still, I think he still shoots film. And at the time, we used to do a champagne toast on his movies when he'd get to a million feet of film. <laughs> and it wasn't, I mean, it was like, it was a plant, like they knew he was going to get there. So it was like a totally like, well, are we going to hit a million today? Okay, go get the champagne. Uh, because he just does that. And he keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. And they keep coming up with new jokes. So it was pretty cool. I mean, your life, sort of, you know, working on a lot of these earlier films and stuff, that's got to be the best film school ever to then springboard you into your own filmmaking, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I have a lot of different, um, I've seen a lot of different disciplines. I've seen all kinds of different ways to, to, to do coverage on a shot. I've seen different ways to push an actor to a certain level in a scene or, um, <laughs> You know, or I've seen actors who are very improvisational. I've seen other actors who like come in and do it exactly as written, and that's it. Um, so yeah, it's 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 definitely that was my film school. Which do you prefer as an actor? Do you prefer, you know, somebody to be improvisational or stick to the words, or would it vary from project to project? Do you think? I think it probably would vary. Um, there's a very, very, you know, I don't want to jinx it, but there's a script that I've been developing for a number of years that I almost got to direct at one point, um, and it seems like it's coming around again just through circumstance. And if I direct it, um, I'm definitely going to make sure that the people who are paying for it are aware that I'm going to reserve time to sort of improvise. It is a comedy, so that's, you know, an easier sell. But, um, you know, it's one of those things when you, once you get the script and you have the dialogue the way that you know you need it, um, if you have the time, you can do what a lot of people call a fun run, which is just sort of hand it to the actors and say like, okay, so we got it. Now let's do another one. Just do whatever you want. Yep. 
and sometimes you get great stuff. Sometimes you, you know, it, you get nothing, but, um, I, I like the idea of that. And I like the idea of sort of making everyone there a co-author of it in that way. Like saying, you know, we're all here in this moment, so let's just play with it and see what happens. That's what I did on when I was shooting the first Mimi film, which is it's all been filmed, but none of it's been edited yet for various reasons. But it would I would chat with the lead actress and I'd say, right, as long as you get to where you need to for the next scene, just by all means, you know, have a wonder, just say, tweak the dialogue, say what's natural, and she was amazing. I think the the elder people, the people playing her parents, I think they struggled a little bit with the just say whatever you want just as long as you get there type thing they weren't quite used to it but she was spot on so she yeah i mean you figure out that that part of it really quick too i mean there are a lot of actors who really don't know what to do if you haven't put the words in their mouth um and i mean you can see that even in like awards shows and things like that if they if there isn't a thing for them that's written down they're kind of feeling like they're blindfolded um but when you get somebody who just has an ability with that, man, it's you get some great stuff sometimes. And of course, you know when you're when you're on a set with Seth Rogen and you're on a set with Martin Starr and guys like that, like those guys can go to town for like an hour without stopping and just come up with brilliantly funny shit. That's why I'm surprised Judd still shoots on film. It's like, just do digital, it's cheaper. You're going to get like a seven-hour movie, but you'll be right. Well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, his movies already feel long, in my opinion, but, but uh, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, it's certainly, even before I left L.A., I, I dipped into television series, you know, comedies for a little while, and with the digital, boy, you could have some long days because they would shoot a 24-minute take of something, you know. Just, oh, take it, go back up and just go from here. Okay, now do this. Now say this. And the crew would just be looking at each other like, good God, we're never going home. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was shooting a 15-minute short film, and I spent 11 hours shooting it, and that was nonstop. I was so exhausted the morning after, just physically drained. And mentally. uh, And mentally drained as well, because it's the first time I'd pretty much shot anything in a short period of time because the, the Comic-Con one was shot over about five or six years, basically. But, yeah, um, yeah I was shattered. But And I got, I think it was an hour and 20 worth of footage because I was shooting rehearsals. I was shooting takes. So I've you know I've probably got the 15 minutes in there several times. But, you know, and, well, and obviously there's, you know, there's the... So, you know, working with children, I mean, I'm sure her, she was at a different level, but a lot of times with kids, especially, um, and I've just done this with, uh, I've been an advisor on some student projects here at the Prague Film School. And, uh, you know, I just said, listen, start rolling camera before they know you're rolling. Uh, you know, so you're just, they're on their mark already, but they're not aware that you're shooting. They haven't sort of turned on their actor brain yet because they'll give you really brilliant, amazing stuff. In the, in the outtakes before they know what's going on, you know what I mean, that you can use. Um, so stuff like that, yeah, I mean, especially things with kids, you got you, you shoot a lot more, which is interesting, at least in the States, because you only have them for eight hours um, for, for, because of the labor laws. So, like, you know, the series that I was doing is called Fresh Off the Boat, and we had three kids as the leads, and that's really hard to do to get a show like that um, when you have children. But she was, uh, I mean, there was a scene where her parents were having a conversation in the kitchen downstairs 
they weren't being on film. I was upstairs behind the Lamissa, the girl, shooting her, listening to the parents. And they were just rehearsing in the kitchen and she was always getting herself into position. And she was rehearsing her own scenes, knowing it was a rehearsal. So I was filming everything. So I've, I've got that scene maybe seven or eight times. I only needed it once. But uh, that now I'm in the task of working out how to edit it. So it's a case of, oh, need to get the equipment sorted to uh, to edit this 4K footage. So that's that's fun in games at the minute. But the first one shot, I've, and I'm going to be shooting all three of them and then editing it all in a, in a big old lump at some point later in the year. But it's, it's fun. It's yeah, I mean, editorial is probably my favorite part of the entire process. It's it's just the best. Um, you know, in the beginning, it's stressful. The first time you look at your footage and you think, like, boy, I've just blown it. <laughs> I'm at that stage. Yep. You'll look at all that. You'll look at all that, and you'll be like, "Oh my god, I didn't get anything I needed. What is this? What did I shoot?" You know, and then and then slowly you'll start to just mold it, and it just starts to come together and. It's fascinating in the ways that it kind of goes places you didn't think it was going to go, that you never intended, even if you wrote it. It just starts to become its own thing and tell you what it wants. Uh, and it's just fascinating. It's really such a cool part. After I'd shot it, I didn't look at the footage for like a week and a half. I thought, I don't want to look at it because I haven't got anything I wanted. None of it worked. I'm sure it's all going to be blurry. <laughs> I don't know what I've done, and eventually I thought I'm just gonna I'll look at this clip, and I looked at it, and it's like that's actually quite good. And I looked at another one, so I've now looked at it all, and it kind of works. But I was genuinely, I've just wasted everybody's time for for a whole Saturday there. Oh no, what am I gonna uh, do? But. I'll tell you, um, you guys know the actor uh, John Carroll Lynch. Yes, a very well known character actor. So a friend of mine wrote a short film and had worked with him and asked him if he would do this short film. And he was very kind and genuine and said, yes, okay, I read it. I'll, I'd like to do it, you know, if I can fit it in my schedule. And uh, so my friend came to me and said, will you produce this thing? This is, you know, years and years ago, probably like 2012 or 13 or somewhere around there. Uh, and I said, yeah. So we got a crew together and we went actually to the to the restaurant that the opening scene of Reservoir Dogs was in, in the valley. And we'll, we'll shoot in that place. And we did this this two days of shooting, and we had a monitor, you know, we had all the right gear, um, and everything was fine. And then when we got an editorial, what you just said happened. We looked at our footage, and everything was out of focus. Every mm. single shot. Uh, and we were like, we were all standing, like we were all looking at the monitor, like, well, how did this, I don't even know what happened, and like, you know, you sort of are looking around. You look at your camera operator and focus, but you're like, "What do you? What did happen? What did you do?" You know, and they're like, "What do you mean? What did we do? We were st- You were there. You saw the monitors. Was it blurry in the monitors?" We're like, "Well, no, but clearly it's blurry now. So it had to be blurry in the camera. Like, what's going on?" Um, and I had to make a phone call to John Carroll Lynch and say, "Sir, I'm very sorry, but um, our footage is unusable. All of it, all two days." And would you be willing to come back and, and redo it? Um, and uh, the director actually thought it was great because he wanted to fix some things in the script. So <laughs> he was like, I'm going to rewrite some scenes. Uh, but John Carolyn's, to his credit, said, well, look, if it didn't work, let's do it again. And he came right. out and he did it again. Yeah. yeah. It's probably in the world of some actors that would be angry, to say the least, would they? But 
Like, yeah, I mean, you know, and I thanked him profusely when he came back out, and I was like, you know, this is, um, you know, I none of us even know what happened. We can't figure it out. It's a technological thing, and you know, because we did playback even after takes, he'd come over and look at the monitor and say, like, yeah, I know, I'm happy with that, and we'd say, okay, we're happy with that, but it's still, you know, we got in a post and none of it was usable. So. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe if it had been somebody else, they'd say, are you kidding me? No, I'm not going to come do it again. You guys screwed it up. Bruce Willis <laughs> or something. <laughs> no, not doing it. Yeah, well, Bruce Willis would have, you know, charged us $3 million for the two days and phoned it in, you know. <laughs> it would have done it. But that, day, that was one of my worries. It's like, oh, God, it's all going to be blurry and, and stuff. But it does seem to be. I'm, I'm now toying with the idea, which will probably come out in editing, whether it's going to be a color film or whether it's going to be black and white. I've done some very basic tests, and black and white looks a lot better. But I'll probably edit it all in color and then maybe make a black and white version. There you go. The director's director's cut already. Yeah, it'd be like the, the black and chrome edition. Yeah, what are they be, like? You know? Like they did with Logan, right? Yep, and yeah. Mad Max. Yeah, which is uh, which is impressive to watch, but who knows? But uh, it's it's fun. It was, I remember talking to Rob uh, about because this the location I used it was a third location because the first <laughs> one fell through, and then I found a second one, and then the second one fell through like a week and a half before I was due to shoot. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, do I do I delay it? Do I find another location? And I ended up finding another one. And then I remember having a chat with Rob going, this third one's, you know, I've found a third one, but the second one's fallen through. And I said, it all makes for interesting behind-the-scenes stuff with all this chaos, which is the way I look at mm. any disaster. And Rob's like, no, everything should go to plan. I'm like, no, filmmaking, <laughs> as far as I know, does not always go to plan. So, yeah, most of the know. time it doesn't go to plan, I would say. No, but you end up with happy accidents. You go, if, if everything went to plan, we wouldn't have this. Well, yeah, absolutely, and it forces it forces a different level of creativity. You know, yeah, it's not it's not necessarily like you know, did I get the exact thing I wanted? It's how how did I make what was in my head work with what I had? You know, um, which I think is also when you when you consider, I don't know, how big was your crew? The the crew was me behind the camera. Uh, it was. The, the cast were the girl and two parents who were actually her parents. They've, but well, one of them's acted before, one of them hadn't. And Annette monitoring the sound on the headphones. That was it. All right. So, was, so micro, micro crew. crew. But I was going to say, like, even at that level, like, the idea that that everybody is there to conspire to create these little twenty-four frames of a second. You know that. And even with a four-person crew or five-person crew or, you know, you get these bigger movies like all told over a thousand people, the the idea that any movie can be good at all is pretty incredible Um, because everything is working against you. The sun is working against the, you know, the weather, people, somebody got sick, somebody doesn't like somebody else, all these things. Um, So, you know, every movie, even the bad ones are, are minor miracles. I think it's it's on the Criterion version of Armageddon where Michael Bay is doing his commentary and he's like, the fact that any movie gets finished is, is quite an achievement. And it is. I know a lot of people that would say that m- no movie is ever finished. It's simply mm. abandoned. It's simply, yes. you know, <laughs> money, the money ran out or somebody just said, okay, you're done. You're, you're, we're, we're done. You know, time to, time to release it. Um, 
And that's pretty much the truth because you'll watch it. You know, when Mimi, when all when these movies are done, you'll watch them, and you're even though you're the guy that shot them and you're the guy that's cutting them. When you watch them in a cinema somewhere in a festival, you're going to be like, "Ah, oh, shit! I should have changed that, or I should have done that. Or, I wish I put a light over in that corner." You will never watch that movie without hitting yourself over the head for something that you wish you had done. Um, I'm still I'm still like that with the Comic Con documentary thing. I had to literally just go enough it's finished it's not perfect i don't want to keep because i could have seen myself just just constantly changing it and you know going to different events and redoing this and redoing that i'm like nope it's done i've learned what i needed to from that one next put it online and just get rid of it which is exactly what i did the biggest version of that is you know lucas with the with the original star wars movies right i mean 30 40 years later was tweaking them doing things that we were all going that's sacrilege you can't touch that and he's like what do you mean i can't touch it it's mine it's ours now it's ours now george Um, (laughs) we want prequels not those yeah give us different prequels yeah but I mean, that's really that's really it. Is this sort of like you know, you do it and do it and kind of look at it. And also, the longer you're you're cutting something, the less you're able to objectively see it. You know, at a certain point, you you've got to bring people in the cutting room and get some opinions because you can't you can't. It just looks like a whitewash to you. You know, um, yeah. you lose your objectivity almost completely. So it's that's another thing too. Is you get to a point, you're like, I don't know. I don't know what this movie is anymore. I, I I don't know if it's working or it's not working or whatever. Like, you know, it's it's quite a process. <laughs> well, I keep uh, pestering a filmmaker friend of mine, Neil Johnson. So it's like, so I, I shot all the first film and I'm, I messaged him. Went right. What do I do now? <laughs> do I do it this way or do I do it that way? He went. I do it this way. I'm like, that's exactly what I was thinking. And then a couple of days after, I'm like, Neil. What do I do now? How do I do this? Do I do it this way or that way? And we seem to be on the same page, but this guy obviously has made proper films, um, and I'm just at the very early stages of it. But it's for me, my film school has been DVD commentaries. It's been watching countless making ofs. It's been speaking with filmmakers like yourself. It's been you know meeting celebrities and just what that's kind of my film school. And now I'm onto the stage now where it's right now your film school is have a camera go film something and then learn by your mistakes. Did you ever see, uh, I can't think of the title now. Uh, it might be just called like the art of the cut or something like that. Have you seen that documentary about no, I have not, no. film editing? Uh, I know it was on the DVD for, I think the getaway or something. It was like a supplemental feature, but you can see the whole thing is on YouTube. Brilliant. Um, guess what? Guess what? I'm watching in the next day or so. I'll, I'll, have find, I'll have to find the title of it, but it's got like you know, it's they talk a lot about the first Matrix film, but um, Kathy Bates narrates it, and they talk with Walter Murch as he's cutting Cold Mountain. Um, I'll get you the title of it, but there's a great thing they have. They have Spielberg on, and he's talking about editing Jaws, and they have you know they have uh, Cameron talking about cutting Terminator Two, and. Um, when they have this scene with Spielberg, he talks about cutting in Verna Field's pool house. And he says what you just said, which is where you're sort of asking people for their opinion. He says that he asks Verna Fields, where do you think the cut should be? And he would know where he thought the cut should be. And if they both touched the little splice thing on the same frame, they knew that was the correct one. But that usually there would be a discrepancy of two to four frames. And he would say, he was trying to get every frame he could because he knew what a nightmare to shoot that was. 
And she was saying, like, I don't care what a nightmare was. And I wasn't on the set. I don't know what the problem was on the day. You need to cut here. And he literally says those two to four frames were the difference between it looking like a scary shark and the difference between it looking like a great white floating turd. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yep. It is. It's it's fascinating. I I find the whole filmmaker world fascinating anyway. But it's uh, it's it's kind of weird to be putting my feet in it and stuff. So, so so we touched up on filmmaking a lot. This, uh, do you have any hobbies outside of the filmmaking world, John, or hobbies that you used to have that maybe you don't have anymore? <laughs> uh, honestly, I you mentioned that in, in, on Twitter that you might ask that. I was trying to think, but no, I really don't. I'm such a film nut. It's the only thing I've ever paid attention to in my life or given anything to in my life. You know, people try to talk to me about sports or something. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what you're saying. Yeah. I don't know sports either. I'm (laughs) clueless. Yeah. Speaking of foreign language. So like, um, I mean, I would say re I love to read books. Um, but, but I find that I'm doing less of that because I end up just having to read scripts all the time. Um, but yeah, no movies is pretty much it. That's my one, one true passion. (laughs) I could have no issue with that answer whatsoever. No. So, Rob, what about yours? Um, for me, um, I was kind of your typical kind of geek growing up, so I've had a lot of these uh, kind of um, geek hobbies as well. So, um, you know, the stamp collecting, the... Oh, God, uh, really? The, the coin <laughs> collections. Um, you name it, I've probably been there at some point. Train um, numbers? No, actually, uh, there is hope. Uh, I've, I've there dodged is trains. Well, you well, you should. But uh, but yeah, um, but then it would always come back to my love for sci-fi. So kind of the um, um, coin collecting and the stamp collecting. Um, you know, there's been the Star Trek stamps, the Star Wars stamps. You know, and the same for coins. And my collection would kind of um, kind of veer towards them. I remember kind of. Um, first day covers with stamps um they did um a lovely set for kind of um um for tolkien um with uh, kind of his um kind of work and and the beautiful artwork that went with the books um so it was always kind of uh, kind of veering towards sci-fi fantasy and that kind of stuff bob um well like i say everyone knows about uh, the fact that i like the films etc uh with talked enough about my absolute love of books i tend to read more books than i watch films yeah don't you yes (laughs) (laughs) um but i'd probably say one of the weirdest ones that i've got in many people's views um way back to when i was in kind of secondary school uh i started you know i'd always read things like lord of the rings and what have you and um some older kids introduced me to the wonders of fancy role-playing things like dungeons and dragons mm-hmm. so oh, I'm, gl- I'm glad it wasn't like a 50 shades sort of oh no no nothing kinky that way but oh, so saying <laughs> i was gonna say that then developed many years later into live action role-playing so not only you know, gone were the days of basically you've got a sheet of paper with a bunch of statistics in front of you and you're rolling dice you basically dressed up as the character and you basically went through the adventures and role-played the character yourself. Got in a sword fight? Fine, pull out a sword. Okay. How many years did you do that? Quite a few? 
<laughs> there you go. It's all gone quiet. Oh, how many years <laughs> did you do that, Bob? Quite a few years? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I'd still quite happily go back into that now. Um, the one thing I think that put me off it in the end, as in kind of that I don't do it as much as I used to, um, they got a lot into very large conventions and meets, etc., where it's literally if you weren't if you weren't following the storyline of you know basically the people running the event, it's case of whatever you were saying just got ignored. Oh, so they didn't like improvisation. Exactly, yeah. That's so the smaller events where you've got like up to a hundred people. You know, you you basically the players ran the event in many ways. You know, the you know the the people refereeing or storytelling would set up the initial situation or scenario, and then it was just pure improv off that. Okay, it's a live action role play. Yep. So mm-hmm. that's my odd one. Cool. <laughs> I think. Well, mine was which I've just started getting back into by watching documentaries and listening to some podcasts. But I spent years being a UFO researcher. Ooh. Which is just the oddest one ever. I think it was around the, the. I've always been a fan of movies. It's closely counts as the third kind. Favorite film of all time. So I was seven years old when I saw that at the cinema, and I've watched it hundreds of times through the years in all its different versions. They were all out there, but uh, things like ET. I remember as a kid, I was eleven when the film was due to come out, and I got really upset because I thought this is about an alien. It's it's going to be an eighteen or an X. I'm not going to be able to watch it. I got really upset, but it came out and it was a U, and I went to see it and I cried. CT <laughs> died, but he didn't, and you know, rip off of Stranger Things, but never mind. And, uh, so I've always been interested in the whole alien sort of world, but then in 88, I believe it was Communion that came out starring Christopher Walken. I was a fan of Christopher Walken's at the time, fan of alien abduction movies, watched that and that got me really into this whole, oh my god people are actually being abducted by aliens this is the weirdest thing ever, so I read dozens and dozens of books, I went to lectures, I've met people I ended up meeting the real Whitley Strieber and uh, just having a chat to him he looks nothing like Christopher Walken he looks more like a professor from a from a university or something but um, yeah, so I spent many years just I had a little PC before PCs were a thing, and I was typing in. I made this little database that had all these different UFO sightings in, and you could track them across. It was, I was getting quite a little bit obsessed with all that sort of stuff. But uh, it was fascinating. Two attempts I've made at writing the UFO script. I remember getting on the phone to Jerry Bruckheimer Productions because Don Simpson and him were working on this project called Dharma Blue which was a UFO sort of top secret cover-up type thing. And then Don Simpson passed away. Dharma Blue never happened. And I actually thought, I'm going to phone up Bruckheimer and say, can I write it for you? I didn't get very far, but (laughs) I did did speak to somebody at Bruckheimer offices and I got an autograph out of it. So that's still on my wall. And then a few years ago, I was writing a screenplay about uh, about a UFO cover-up as well. So at some point, I'll end up writing one, but... I've got back into this whole listening to UFO podcasts, so that's my uh, long-winded answer. Did, UFO researcher. Did you know, Stuart? The um, the Great Ormond landed now is I think it's number three, the third um, biggest hotspot in the UK for UFO sightings. You need to get up there with a the camera then and capture, <laughs> capture some on film. You'd have to come but down. We could we could spend a camping a, an evening up there. Yeah. Um, I don't think he needs to go that far. There's one just up the valley that's one of the hottest. There is. 
I've still, I mean, if people go, have you ever seen one? You go, yeah, I've seen loads of UFOs. Like, no, you haven't. I'm like, yeah, it's unidentified. If I don't know what it is and it's in the sky, I've seen a UFO. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's a fascinating world. So. Well, now I'm sure you've heard of, of these people that are planning on storming Area 51. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how well that's going to go for them. Yeah, I don't. I don't think the outcome is going to be what they're hoping. <laughs> no, the the last person to enter Area Fifty One, I think it was back in January, according to the news thing, they got shot. <laughs> so, but I, I suppose if you've got like three hundred thousand people, that are going to, that's a lot of bullets. But, well, have you not seen the uh, uh, the funny one that they've put out on Facebook about it? No. Two caption kind of, you know, two screen, two frame kind of comedy bit, and it's just, oh, they're going to invade Area Fifty One, and government man laughing. It's a case of, yeah, there's only one, but his name's John Wick. Government yeah, brand, let's kind of. <laughs> I, I think if John Wick teams up with Jack Bauer, then they could probably storm Area 51. But my, my theory on Area 51 is whatever you think you're going to find there, it's probably been moved somewhere else. Oh, yeah. It's Area 51 is too pop culture now to, mm. to actually be wherever, whatever it is. Although, although we now know that the you know two kids from Scoops Ahoy can infiltrate a Russian facility, so who knows? <laughs> just, bring, just send them in. Yeah, yeah but I mean, that, this that is it. It's a case of if aliens did land and say, take me to your leader, would oh. you really want to? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Uh, well, we got Theresa May over here, so that would be no. Well, yeah, and you may end up with uh, Boris, so that would be no. Uh, I assume. That's even worse, isn't it? That's just. <laughs> Though I must admit, you know, there are certain people that you'd quite happily let aliens anal probe. All the politicians, <laughs> just get rid of them all. If they, They're all the fact that they want to if, be one. If just... they said take me to your leader, I guess I'd have to take them over to the Obama's place. Yes, that would work. <laughs> Yeah, that would definitely work, but not Trump and not Boris Johnson, yeah. not Theresa May. Just uh, I just I, I tune out of politics now. I don't care about leaving Europe or anything. I'm done. I just <laughs> I hide in my Blu-ray collection and podcast world and just you know work out how to edit footage that's been sitting on a hard drive for weeks and <laughs> and uh, look forward to Sean's wonderful Tom Cruise story, which is. <sighs> Imminent? I think it might be time now. I think it might be time, Sean. <laughs> well, I don't know if it'll be that wonderful, but it, but it's. Uh... You've built it up now. We better just make it up. Make it amazing. Make okay. it that you jumped out of the the, the hotel with him. Or something. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be a hell of a story, right? Or or that wasn't Tom. That was you. That would be that. That could work. Yeah, exactly. I doubled him <laughs> on the Burj Khalifa. That that was the yes. big secret. No, um, I. Uh, I got a job on a reshoot of uh, this movie, Vanilla Sky, yep. uh, which was Cameron Crowe remaking um, a, a, a film. I think it was called Abrelos Ojos uh, with the guy that ended up writing The Others. Um, but anyway, so we um, were going to shoot for one week. Um, and I was really excited, obviously, because I wanted to see Tom Cruise work, but also Kurt Russell was in the film, Cameron Diaz was in the film, and I'd worked with her before. Uh, Penelope Cruz was in the film, Tilda Swinton was in the film. So, like, all these actors that I was just sort of jazzed about. Um, and we, we spent the majority of the time in downtown L.A. at, at different locations. Um, and then we moved to this studio that's also in downtown called L.A. Center. And... Um, it was, you know, if, if you know anything about directors, when they have a chance to go out and get more footage, um, the days are, are very long. 
And uh, in this particular case, you know, they were cramming a lot of material into a very short period. Um, and I remember that the, the story that sort of made the difference to me was uh, I was a production assistant on the show. And my job uh, was what PAs refer to as walkie bitch, um, which <laughs> just means that I am in charge of anywhere from 50 to 150 walkie talkies and uh what inevitably happens is that, you know, you hand them to people and they drop them out of cars or they drop them off of bridges or they, you know, lose them. And then you have to deal with the production manager screaming at you saying they cost $700 a piece. And it's just an it's an utter nightmare job and nobody wants it. Um, but uh, so I was on this job and, you know. I, w I was happy because I was getting to watch Tom Cruise do scenes every day, and, and he was just exceedingly nice to everyone. Um, and yet, you know, I'm, I'm a PA, so I'm not sort of in his sphere. I'm not trying to talk to him or be, you know, in his eyeline or anything. Um, but so one of the things was the, the first time that I realized how committed he is um, was that we would wrap him some days at like, you know, lunchtime and he wouldn't leave. Um, and I know that this is one of the first projects that he was like physically producing on, but he, he wanted to be there and he wanted to watch the other actors work. And when Kurt Russell or somebody would just kill a take, Cameron Crowe actually like couldn't even cut fast enough before Tom would run in there and like jump on this actor and like shake their hand and do the Tom Cruise, like, you know, shoulder grab, uh, and be like, that was so good. Oh my God, that was amazing. You know? Um, and I just thought that was so cool, you know, that he was doing that. And then, um, a lot of actors will not do off camera, like particularly if it's like late, it's the end of the day. Big movie stars sometimes will say, like, you know, I'm going to go home, guys, and just put my stand-in on my mark and let the other actor do the scene with the stand-in. Um, and it's it's more common than you think. So a lot of times when you see, like, an over-the-shoulder on somebody, that's not even, you know, guys like Bruce Willis are, are known for this now, where they just, like, leave for the last couple shots of the day. Um and uh, so, the, so the other actor is just like, you know, reading lines with the stand-in or reading lines with a script supervisor or somebody. And Tom was not that way at all to the point that there was a, there was a, a, an insert shot. You guys know what that means, inserts? Yeah. 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 So it was an insert shot where he had to check his watch. And it was basically just going to be his wrist coming up to the lens and showing what time it is. And they kept saying, hey, Tom, we got the camera outside. You know, we can just pop off this shot really quick, this insert on the watch. And he was like, no, 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 I'll do it. I'll do it. Just, just have him wait for me. Um, and he literally, you know, they wrapped him on the main unit. This little splinter unit B camera set up outside. He, like, runs over there and puts the watch on. And he wanted to do his own insert shots. Nice. And you're just like, wow, man, that's the guy, like, loves this shit, you know? Cause that's not his face, not even on camera, you know, not really. It's his wrist. It could be anybody. It could be me for God's sakes. Um, and so on the final day, so this is, this was my like, you know, Tom Cruise moment on the final day. Um, it was a 19 hour day for me. It was, it was just, I was so exhausted and because it was such a short shoot and they didn't, have any money and they didn't want to do anything longer and they had to, they did this 19 hours and then like 
my time was cut off. I knew I wasn't making any more money, but I still had to collect every walkie from every person on the crew, which means I had to wait till they were all done with their jobs so they could hand them to me. And by the time I got to hour 19, I was just like, all I could think about was I still had a 45 minute drive home. I was so like angry almost. (laughs) And people were giving me their walkies and I had to like take the antennas off and take the headsets out and wrap the headsets and then put the antennas in a rubber band. And I was doing this sort of very angrily. And I heard the door open and I thought I had all my walkies. And I literally said, who the fuck is still here? (laughs) I stood up and I turned around and it was Tom. He's walking towards me. And I've been working with him for a week now, but he's never been walking towards me. And I'm just sort of like staring. And first, you know, he's coming across the soundstage and I'm like, is that that's Tom? I think that that is Tom. Why is he here? What's happening? And he comes up to me and he goes, you're still here, man. Oh, my God. He's like, thank you so much. Wow. This is you're just this. You're you're working here. I mean, it's just this is great. And he shakes my hand and he grabs my shoulders and he's like, wow, man. And in that second, like everything went away, you know, like all the <laughs> just sort of like I'm looking at Maverick, you know, <laughs> yep. and and he's saying thank you to me. Like how weird, you know, and uh, he he literally said, which this is one of my all time regrets. He said, uh, Cameron and I are still out in the trailer. We're having some drinks. So if, when you're done here, come on out and have a drink with us. And I said, oh, yeah, I got a ways to go still. But thank you very much. And, you know, it's a pleasure working with you. And uh, he was like, no, man, thank you. Really, really really thank you for doing your work and and being here. And I was like, yeah, of course, you know, glad to help out Maverick. (laughs) That was it. And he walked away and I did not go to the trailer to see if they were still there when I was done. Um, But it was, it was a moment where up until that point, I don't, I don't think any actor had ever thanked me as a, as a production assistant for doing anything. And the fact that this guy who's one of the biggest movie stars in the world came up and did that, it literally made all the difference and I makes you did. Yeah. And I worked with him on a, on another shoot briefly and I don't know if he remembered me, but he was just as nice and just as engaged with people. And so I am forevermore a Tom Cruise defender when, uh, you know, people online will start bashing about Scientology or whatever, you know, I can't help myself, but comment and say, look, I never saw any weird Scientology stuff. Uh, you know, I never saw him do anything weird. All I saw was he'd be kind to people and supportive and genuine and energetic. Um, so yeah, so he's forever. A, uh, I'm, I'm forever a fan of his. Yeah. He's not pushing his views on anyone. No, no. I, uh, I won Bob round to becoming a Tom Cruise fan again. Oh yeah. I? Cause you, you weren't really a Tom Cruise fan. I, and then I showed you a few films and you now like him. Well, this is it. It's a case of, I think, uh, I, this is going to be very controversial, but his early work I wasn't a great fan of. But <gasps> um, I, the one that turned it round for me was uh, Collateral, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the, he just he showed that he could be a really good actor in that. That to me was him acting, yeah. And it, it, I was just totally gobsmacked by that film. And uh, you know, watching his films since. Yeah, you know, there's not one that I've not liked. Yeah. You 
So I've always been a Tom Cruise fan way back from Taps. Yeah. Which was before the whole oh, yeah. Tom Cruise became Tom Cruise type thing. But to sort of a similar story to yours, which is no, I'm not, not a similar story to the one you've got, Sean, at all. But <laughs> there was uh, Tom Cruise would always come to the, the film premieres in Leicester Square in London. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember which film it was, but the weather was terrible. It was pouring down. And apparently he was out there for over two hours signing autographs, right. taking selfies, meeting the fans, getting drenched. But he stayed out there until everybody who'd wanted to see him saw him. So you the hear these gentleman. stories about how, how a nice guy he is and how, I mean, even on, I saw an interview with him and it was regarding Taps, which was like early 80s, that thing. And he would stay and he would try and learn everything. And that's that was his film school. So it seems to be something that he's done. But the Scientology thing, it's like, I don't like it because Scientology. It's obviously working for him. I'm okay with it. Well, it's is, like, well, if I, I could... I'll tell you another one really quickly. Um, when we were on uh, Knocked Up, actually, uh, Tom was looking for a comedy. And at the time, there, were, he, there was talk that he was going to do a Hardy Boys comedy mystery movie with Ben Stiller. <laughs> um, but, it, but it but it wasn't materializing, um, and this is obviously pre Tropic Thunder. But he was looking for something to do, and we got a call one day that to to Judd's office that Tom wanted to meet with him, and would Judd be willing to come to the house? And you know, Judd's like, "Well, I'm shooting now, but I mean, we might wrap early, and if we wrap early, sure. I mean, we could we we could come over there today." And they said, "Okay," and <laughs> Judd came up and said, okay, you're going to take me to Tom's house today. They're going to give you some instructions and I'm going to rope in uh, Seth to go with us. I'm like, okay, great. And sure enough, my phone rings and it's like, you know, it's like secret service. You know, they're like, they're like, here's where the house is and you're going to come here at exactly this time. You're going to pull up to the gate, but don't drive up the driveway. You're just going to let Judd out. And I said, okay, just so you know, he's bringing Rogan with them. And they were like, oh, okay, we'll, we'll let Tom know. So we wrap, I drive these two knuckleheads over to Beverly Hills and we pull up to this gate and the street is full of cars, which I'm assuming are all paparazzi waiting, you know, outside his house. Um, and I say, I turn to Judd and Seth and I'm like, Hey guys, I can't drive you up the driveway. They're going to open the gate though. And they're like, Oh, okay. Weird. All right, fine. And they go up and the gate opens and they go up in the house and they're in there for, I don't know, two, three hours, maybe. And the whole time I'm just like chilling out in the street in the car watching a movie. And, uh, and, and at one point I see a guy go into the bushes and I'm like, well, that's weird. Right. Yeah. I'm like, that's there's, what is that? That's a paparazzi guy trying to sneak in the house now. Cause he's seen Rogan go in there or something. So I get out of my car and I start to walk down the hill toward where the guy went in the bushes. And I'm like, started getting closer to the gate and then another car the door opens the guy steps out and he goes what are you doing and i go nothing what are you doing and he goes he goes i work for tc and i go oh oh well did you see the guy that went in the bushes over there a second ago and he's like yeah he works with us too i went oh oh so all oh i get it all you guys are all right (laughs) <laughs> so I so I go back and I get in my car and I watch the rest of my movie and then the phone rings and it's Judd and he's like they're gonna let you up the driveway so okay so I get, start the car I pull up to the gate gate opens I go up this long winding driveway and they get to this massive house it's all sort of the house is like stretched out on my right side 
and I see the door open and I see Judd and Rogan come out and Tom is there in the doorway with them and he's talking to them, you know, saying goodbye and they get in the car. Now I think that the driveway is one of those circular drives, right? So I'm just going to, they're going to get in and I'll just drive straight and go out the other end, but it's not. So they get in and I drive straight and I run into like a carriage house, right? Like just garages, just a row of garages. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And it's nighttime now. And I got limo tint on this car. And now I'm trying to back up without crashing into his house or crashing into his cars or planters or anything else. And I'm just kind of like turning the wheel to, to, to make a, you know, make a turn so I can go front ways down the driveway. And I suddenly hear somebody going, come on back, come on back. Come on, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I have my window down so I can look at my side mirror. And as I get, you know, back in that far enough to be able to put it in drive again, I turn to look out my window and there's Tom standing next to me. He's the guy backing me up. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, oh, hi, Tom. Thanks for that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. You good? And I was like, yeah, I'm good. And he's like, all right, sorry about that. And I'm like, no, no, I'm sorry. It's all fine. (laughs) <laughs> and I drive out. So, so here was what got me to the story is as I drive down the driveway, Judd and Seth are talking about it. And I'm like, well, what is, you know, how was he? I mean, what, how, how was that? Was that weird? And they were like, well, it is weird because it's fucking Tom Cruise sitting in front of you and you're in his living room. Like, that's weird. You know, and Rogan's like, yeah, he's like, you know, he's just staring at you and asking you about comedy, you know, and, and, you know like, okay. And, and, uh, and I said, did he try and sell you on Scientology? And they were like, they started laughing. They were like, nope, didn't come up at all. And I said, ah. Oh. And, and Judd said the same thing that you said, Stuart. He was like, you know, whatever works for you, I guess. You know, like some people need Christianity and somebody needs whatever. But, you know, clearly Scientology is working for him. So if he doesn't try and push it on me, then I'm fine with it. And I was like, yeah, it's yeah, pretty much how I feel about it. <laughs> You know, anyway, that was my second cruise story. That's like a bonus, Tom Cruise. And they are, for the record, you were saying, oh, I don't know how good the stories are. Nailed it again. <laughs> so the, the, the pressure's building each time you come on. It's like, yeah, they, they, they kind of blow my mind. <laughs> well, i got to come great. up with a good one for next time. <laughs> you've never come up with a bad one. <laughs> so you, you're doing well. And you, you've got such a, a, an amazing filmography to, to sort of cherry pick from. <laughs> but it's like so you come on a podcast like entertain us Sean entertain us please <laughs> well, perform for us <laughs> but it's been an absolute age since you've been on but we'll have to make sure it's not as long before you're on again but I know you're really really busy and uh, schedules are a bit crazy on all parts but it's always a pleasure having a conversation with you and I'm sure Bob and Rob who this is the first time they've spoke to you I'm sure they've enjoyed their evening as well definitely oh, definitely so. Well, thanks for letting me uh, prattle on for a while, guys. <laughs> You're more than welcome, so, sir. Oh, yeah, it's, it's always an absolute pleasure. So I'm going to go downstairs and uh, I'll probably play Annette, the Tom Cruise story part. But I'll check this out, listen to this, <laughs> before this podcast goes online in the next few days. But uh, I will let you guys go and enjoy the rest of your evening because it's, uh, I think it's late-ish, isn't it? Well, it's nearly 10 o'clock. Yeah. We're nearly 10 o'clock where I am. What time were you, Sean? About midnight? Yeah. Oh, almost 11 here. Well, thanks for taking a couple of hours out to to uh, jump on and have a chat. It's, it's, uh, yep. It is always fun. <laughs> and uh, yeah, keep 
keep tweeting at Donald Trump, Sean. <laughs> will do, believe me. And uh, we'll, we'll have a good old catch up again soon. All right, guys. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye now. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.